1 Corinthians 2 is where we're going to be this morning, talking about uh, true wisdom, what real wisdom is. And uh, a lot of times I think that most of us think that wisdom and knowledge are, are basically the same thing, but they're different. Uh, knowledge is kind of knowing a fact about something. Wisdom is really being able to put that knowledge into practice and living in light of that reality. And so, for example, uh, in high school, we had summer weightlifting for football that started at 6 a.m. in the morning. And uh, one summer, in the weeks leading up to it, I knew that I needed to do some running and lifting on my own, or I just was not going to be prepared for it. I was going to be really uh, out of shape for it, and it wasn't going to be good. Uh, but I didn't do any of that. I had been staying up real late and sleeping in real late, really just kind of enjoying the summer. And uh, the night before these workouts started, I did that. I stayed up real late hanging out with some friends, and so I overslept the next morning, woke up late, didn't have time to make breakfast, so I had the breakfast of champions, I had a Pop-Tart as some good pre-workout fuel, and uh, went to this workout, and I was so tired, so kind of out of shape, and so uh, under-fueled from this Pop-Tart that I actually blacked out during the warm-up. Yes, I said during the warm-up. Uh, I blacked out, and, and really the rest of the workout, I was so dizzy and would keep blacking out that I ended up just, just having to sit on the couch uh, the rest of the, the entire workout. I, I had all of the knowledge of what I should have done. Right? I, I knew that I should have been working out and should have been preparing and should have uh, slept better and gone to bed earlier and should have had better food to eat uh, than a Pop-Tart, but I didn't have the wisdom to put any of that into practice, and so uh, I definitely paid the consequences for it in a uh, pretty embarrassing way. And, and so when we talk about wisdom, like what wisdom is, we're really not talking about just kind of knowing some facts. We're talking about living into God's good design for how He made the world to work, living in step uh, with what reality is. And uh, as we've seen through the book of 1 Corinthians, as we're going to see again today, if we're going to be able to do that, we need the gospel. Uh, because the gospel is what reveals to us ultimate reality. It shows us what God is really up to and what he really values and what's important and what matters uh, in the world. And so Paul is going to kind of expand on this concept of wisdom, and he's going to tell us that true wisdom is a gift of the Spirit that makes us look like Jesus. It helps us live into the way that God has designed the world to work. And so let's look at this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 6 uh, and finish out the chapter. And so starting in verse 6, the very word of God to us today speaks to us like this. It says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the first thing we see in this passage is that true wisdom is cross-shaped. Uh, so up to this point in the letter, it really seems like Paul has been kind of poo-pooing on wisdom uh, because in a lot of ways, he really has. Like he's been trying to show us that the world's wisdom, uh, it's actually foolishness, that it does not work uh, and it cannot save us. But that doesn't mean that Paul thinks that all wisdom is foolish and stupid. He says there is a wisdom that he communicates among the mature. And when he says the mature, he's not really dividing Christians into a class of, you know, you've got kind of elites and non-elites. You've got these really mature and spiritual Christians who have a deeper filling of God's Spirit and more access to God's wisdom than others. And then you've got uh, Christians who kind of stink and just aren't as good at that and don't have as much access to God's wisdom. Now, like, that would go against everything he has been saying in this letter up to this point, and it would just stoke the divisions and the fires of division that have been burning in the Corinthian church even further. Everybody was dividing, thinking their group was better and more spiritual. And so the distinction that Paul is making here is not between levels of Christians, but between Christians and non-Christians. Christians are the mature, because what we're going to see as we walk through this passage is that we have all been given the Spirit. And so Paul says there is a wisdom that he communicates to the church, to Christians, but, but once again, this wisdom isn't like the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is doomed to pass away. It's fleeting, it's fading, but God's wisdom uh, is wisdom he decreed before time even began, how he set up the world to work, and it's never going to pass away. And, and Paul says the rulers of this age didn't understand this wisdom, and when Paul uses this phrase, rulers of this age, and a lot of different places in the New Testament, this refers to like demonic forces, uh, but I think here it's pretty clear that Paul is referring to human rulers and authorities, and, and I think especially those who are in positions of power and kind of shaping uh, cultural values and influencing what we look at and what the world looks at as important. I think it's clear that these are human rulers and authorities in high positions of power uh, because of what verse 8 says, that they crucified the Lord of glory, that they were the ones that killed Jesus on the cross. And the fact that they did this reveals that they don't understand true wisdom. They don't understand God's wisdom. Because Paul has already told us that Christ crucified is the power and wisdom of God. That wisdom looks like Jesus on the cross. That it is cross-shaped and it confesses that the cross is actually where we see God's grace and power on greatest display. It, it confesses that this is actually wisdom. Uh, and, and notice the specific phrase that Paul uses here to describe Jesus in verse 8. He says the rulers of this age did not understand this because if they would have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Lord of glory is a really clear way for Paul to say that Jesus is divine, that he is God. And so what Paul is saying here is that the rulers of this age, those who were shaping cultural values and what the world looked at as successful and important, they had the God of the universe standing in front of them who had come as a man to save them, but they did not recognize him for who he was. They did not recognize him as God. 
But not only did they not recognize him as God, they treated him like a common criminal and crucified him when he was really the Lord of glory. And, and, and Paul says this means that they don't understand God's wisdom. And look, in, in a lot of ways, it's the same way today. Because, no, the, the rulers of our age, like those who are in kind of positions of influence and power shaping our cultural values and what we think is success and importance, they have not literally crucified Jesus, but they have rejected the wisdom of the cross. They have rejected him as God. They have thought the cross is weakness and foolishness. And so if I could sum up what I think Paul is saying to us here in these verses, I think he's saying that if we want to grow in true wisdom, then you need to reject the wisdom of those who reject the cross. And when I say reject the wisdom of those who reject the cross, I'm not talking about just rejecting everything that comes from an unbeliever. God, in His common grace, He reveals aspects of truth to both believers and non-believers, like being a Christian doesn't automatically make you better at your job than a non-Christian. And so not being a Christian doesn't keep you from like being a really good doctor, or being a really good scientist, or being a really good lawyer, or mechanic, or teacher, and on and on. And if we were to reject everything that comes from an unbeliever, we would have to reject a whole lot of technological and medical and scientific and psychological advances. And on top of that, just a whole lot of other practical skills and advice, like we'd have to reject all of that. And so that's not what Paul is saying here. Instead, he's specifically talking about wisdom, like where the good life is found. When it comes to where we look to find the good life, like where real, deep, lasting life is found and what the world is really here for and what we're really here for and what we're supposed to do, Paul is saying you should reject the wisdom of those who would have crucified God because the fact that they would have crucified God reveals that they are totally backwards and confused on what's actually wisdom and power. Because wisdom is the crucified God dying as a human being to pay for our sins. Anyone who rejects that is worth rejecting as an influence on where real life and what really matters is found. And look, the reality with this is that we're all being influenced constantly, like all the time. I really don't care how strong of a leader that you think that you are. You are being influenced by someone or something, and most of the time, many someones and many somethings. We just can't avoid it. God made us this way to be influenced this way. And look, we are just being constantly bombarded with messages and with wisdom on where the good life is found from movies and music and TV shows and social media. And on top of that, many of us are actually looking for this wisdom, even if we wouldn't call it this, uh, from podcasts and YouTubers and influencers. And what we're being sold on, what these people and what these messages are trying to influence us and sell us on is what our culture values and looks at as important. And we've talked about this quite a bit before, but really our kind of chief cultural value and what we're being sold on is what people smarter than me have called expressive individualism. Like you and I are being discipled all day, every day into this value of expressive individualism. It's really just the air that we breathe in America. Uh, to mix metaphors, it's kind of like we're fish swimming in water who don't even realize we're in water, and the water that we're swimming in is expressive individualism. Expressive individualism is the belief that if you're going to find real happiness and, and fulfillment, 
that that's found in looking inside of yourself to determine who you really are. So you look inside of you and you determine who you are based on what you feel about who you are, and then you express that identity. Like happiness is found in being able to determine and live out your own identity without any restraints or anyone holding you back. And once again, it's not like we ever really kind of reason it out this way. This is just the air we breathe. It's what we take for granted. Because everything in our culture is trying to get you to believe that your life is only about you. That you only answer to yourself and for yourself. That you only belong to yourself. Like the world's wisdom, it takes a lot of different angles and spins, but it's really all just a spin on this belief that life is about you and your comfort and your happiness and your fulfillment. And so I'll just give you a few examples. Like culturally, we've gone from really a healthy recognition that, that friendships and relationships are strengthened by healthy boundaries to uh, we've kind of swung the pendulum to what so many people will tell you today that Man, if your friends aren't serving you, if they're not reaching out to you, if they're not helping you achieve your goals and what you've set out for yourself, then you need to cut them off uh, because they're toxic to you and to your goals of becoming a better person. And look, I'm not saying that there's never a time to cut somebody off who actually is toxic to you. Uh, What I'm saying is that the world's wisdom is still defining friendship all in terms of you. Like, how are these friends benefiting you? How are they serving you? How are they helping you achieve your goals and your dreams? It's all about you. They aren't actually friends that you have. They're tools that you're using to make yourself a better person. Or think about the world's reasoning for both getting married and staying single. It's really the same reasoning, personal fulfillment. And so the reason we're told to get married today is not because, hey, we're covenanting our lives together with this person to love them and serve them and point them to Jesus and be a picture of the gospel for the rest of our days. No, uh, we're told, hey, get married because it's going to make you happy. And if it isn't making you happy uh, a few years down the road, well, then you can just cut bait and you can move on from that. Or the reason you stay single is because a spouse would tie you down and would get in the way of your goals and dreams that you've laid out for your life and would get in the way of your personal fulfillment. And so you don't want to be tied down like that. And look, the way that the world tells us that this good life is found, it takes a whole lot of different forms. Uh, For some of it, it's just kind of a spin on like the Rachel Hollis, Girl, Wash Your Face, or the Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life, that basically your problem and the reason you're unhappy and aimless and unfulfilled is because of you, because you just haven't taken control for your life. And so you need to get up, you need to make your bed, you need to wash your face, take responsibility for your life, and when you get a little bit more control of your life, uh, then you're going to be happy and you're going to feel fulfilled. But, but really, I think the way that this is mostly playing out for us today, the way we're, we're called to pursue the world's wisdom, is just through life hacks. Like, yeah, if something's wrong with you, if something's misfiring, if something's off in your life, well, well the good news is that there's a podcast that you can listen to, uh, or there's some, something that you can buy, or there's a practice that you can uh, put into your life, and if you'll just put this practice into your life, or you'll just do this thing or buy this thing, Uh, then it'll fix that issue and you'll be one step closer to being a happier and more fulfilled person. Man, and and please hear me on this. Like, this is not just the wisdom of those who would openly call themselves unbelievers. I I mean, so much of uh, this wisdom, so much of what's marketed as Christian uh, is just the world's message with the Jesus spin on it. 
It's the same message with Jesus on top. I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week, but so often Christianity is just presented in terms of personal fulfillment. That life is about you and your comfort and your happiness. So Jesus will help you with that. He'll help fix your marriage. He'll help your frustrations at work. He'll give you purpose and He'll make you happy. And if you've tried Him, if you've gone to church and that's not working, if you don't feel purpose and you aren't happy, well, then maybe Jesus just didn't work for you, so you should cut it and move on and find something else because He's just one more product that you try to make yourself happy. It's all just a new spin on the devil's lie to Adam and Eve that real life is found outside of God. Real life is found in yourself. And listen, in the eyes of God, it's foolishness. Because this wisdom, whether it markets itself as Christian or not, it it rejects the cross. Like so much of what is given to us and sold to us as Christians still thinks that weakness and humility and self-denial are things to be avoided at all costs. Like the idea that you might actually need to deny yourself instead of express and actualize yourself. The idea that some of your deepest desires and feelings about yourself might actually be wrong or sinful and they don't need to be affirmed. They need to be repented of and turned away from. The the idea that Jesus might have some areas of your life where He's going to tell you that you're wrong and you need to repent and walk in obedience to Him there. The idea that your deepest problem is not just that you haven't been good enough to yourself, but that you're a sinner who has rebelled against God. The world's wisdom rejects all of that. All this wisdom, whether it's marketed as Christian or not, still thinks the idea of a crucified God is weak and stupid and still hates the idea of having to admit that you're a sinner who cannot fix and save yourself on your own. It still hates the idea of having to think that you have to submit your life to Jesus and you don't get to be in control of your own life anymore. And that means it's foolishness. Because true wisdom is cross-shaped. It looks like Jesus on the cross. It looks like giving of yourself and serving and sacrificing and walking in obedience to Jesus. It believes that life and flourishing is found there. And so you should reject the wisdom of those who reject the cross. You shouldn't settle for lame, garbage substitutes. And the reason you shouldn't settle for lame, garbage substitutes is because God has revealed what true wisdom is to us through His Spirit. This is the next thing we see in this text, that true wisdom is spirit-revealed. Look at verse 9 again with me. He says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So in verse 9, it seems like Paul kind of mashes some verses together from the end of the book of Isaiah to talk about this wisdom. And if you've been to a lot of funerals, I'm sure you've heard this verse before at a funeral, talking about how no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no one has imagined what God has prepared for us in heaven. And look, that's absolutely true, but that's really not what Paul is saying here, is it? Because look again at verse 10. He says, what no eye had seen and no ear had heard and no one had imagined, 
these are the things that God has revealed to us through His Spirit. Like right now, in the present, has revealed. That's past tense. That means it's already happened. And then Paul expands on this with this analogy and this illustration in verse 11 when he says, who knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of that person which is in him? I mean, think about it. Like, the reality is, like, I I don't know what you're thinking right now. And nobody knows what you're thinking right now except you. Right? Like, you could be thinking, man, I'm really bored, or man, I wish I wouldn't have stayed up so late last night, or man, I really wonder where we're going to go to eat after this. I'm pretty hungry, or man, I've really got to knock out the laundry this afternoon. I've got to make sure I don't forget that. But, but whatever it is that you're thinking, if you don't actually speak up and tell us what you're thinking, the only person who knows what you're thinking right now is you. And in the same way, the only person who knows what God is thinking is God himself. Like, only God knows what God is thinking. Only God can reveal God. And and don't press every aspect of Paul's analogy and his illustration here too far because, like, while uh, our, our mind or our spirit is just a part of us, it's not the fullness of us. The Holy Spirit is not a part of God. Uh, He is fully God. Like, everything that makes God God, the Spirit is and the Spirit has. And and so the main point Paul's making here with this illustration, and really the good news is that because the Holy Spirit is fully God, the third person of the Trinity, and He fully knows the Father and the Son, He can reveal God to us. Like, He knows the depths of God, so He can give us and reveal to us the depths of God. Because notice again what it says in verse 12, that in salvation, we have been given the Spirit of God. God has sent His Spirit to indwell us, to live inside of us, and and look again at the end of verse 12 at the reason why, so that we might freely understand the things that have been given to us by God. You realize that God was under no obligation to reveal himself to us, right? Like there's no higher power in heaven kind of forcing his hand and making him do this. If he wanted to, he could have stayed hidden in heaven and left us without knowledge of him. He could have left us in the dark, but he hasn't. He hasn't. In His grace, He has revealed Himself. He has sent His Spirit to reveal Himself so that we might know the depths of God. The Spirit has been sent so that we might freely understand the things that we have freely received from God. Uh, For Christmas one year when I was growing up, uh, my parents bought me a bunch of Hot Wheels. Do you all remember Hot Wheels? Are Hot Wheels still a thing? Hot Wheels are still a thing. Uh, Maybe I'll get some for Christmas this year. Uh, But... Uh, they got me a bunch of Hot Wheels for Christmas one year, and uh, it was kind of a big box, and so the kind of box functioned like a car garage for all these Hot Wheels, and when you open the box, the, the, it would have some tracks that would unfold uh, so that you could race your Hot Wheels on them, and so really what Paul's kind of saying here, it would be like my parents not only getting me that gift for Christmas, uh, but opening it up with me and pointing out like, hey, did you notice that this car can do this? Did you see that this car can do this? Like, don't miss this one over here. Look at this. Make sure you don't miss this. And pointing out all these different angles and features of this that I would have missed if I had just been left to myself. That, that's what the Spirit does here. Like, not only does God save us, He sends His Spirit to live inside of us and help us understand what we've been given in salvation. And so the Spirit comes to say, hey, don't miss this. Like, did you know that this is true of you because of Jesus? Did you know that this is true of you because of your forgiveness in Christ? Don't 
forget to walk in this aspect of your identity. That the Spirit comes to reveal the depths of God and of the Gospel to us so that we would not miss the goodness of what God has done for us in salvation so that we might walk with God deeply and we might more deeply walk in the salvation that He has purchased for us. The Spirit is given to reveal all that is ours in Christ. Man, and so that's incredible news, but zoom out again and think about the context of this. This is why settling for the world's wisdom instead of what God has for us is such a lame substitute and why you should reject it. Because God has sent His Spirit. He has saved us and He has revealed to us through His Spirit the depths of this salvation so that we might know the wisdom of a life walking with the triune God so that we might become wise as we walk with Jesus so that for the rest of our days the Spirit might more and more help reveal all the things we've been given by God in salvation. And the place that the Spirit does this is through the Scriptures. Look again at verse 13 at what Paul says. He says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So when Paul says this, uh, he's not talking about some like secret code language that, that we as Christians have. He, he's talking about the Bible. These are spiritual words because these are the words that the Spirit inspired. These are the words that the Spirit spoke. And, and Christians are those who are spiritual because we've been given the Spirit. And, and so what Paul is saying here is that the place we go, the place where the Spirit reveals the depths of God and the depths of our salvation is in and through the Scriptures. Through these words that He inspired, He reveals more of who God is and more of what God has done for us so that we might walk in it. As we read God's Word and we hear God's Word preached, the Spirit in His grace, He illuminates, He, he gives light and understanding to the words that He inspired so that we might know and understand the depths of what we've been given by God. And, and I think that helps, understand, helps us understand what Paul says uh, in verse 14 when he says, "...the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him." And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. A natural person is just somebody who does not follow Jesus, someone who does not have the Spirit of God. And because they don't have the Spirit of God, they don't understand the things of the Spirit of God. And I'm sure you've experienced this. I mean, the reality is that two people can hear the exact same gospel and one person believes and rejoices and trusts in Jesus while the other person rejects that gospel message and thinks it's kind of dumb and thinks, yeah, maybe uh, Jesus and religion, that's a good crutch for you if you need it, but I don't personally need it myself. And, and it's not because they can't understand the words of the gospel presentation. Like I've had multiple conversations with unbelievers who could repeat the gospel back to me in a way that lets me know they understood what we were trying to say to them but it just doesn't have any meaning and significance to them. They don't trust in Jesus. They haven't given their lives over to Him. The reason why is because we need the Spirit of God. The truth and the significance of the Gospel message is spiritually discerned. It takes the Spirit of God opening up our hearts and opening up our eyes so that we might believe. Look, because we have rebelled against God in our sin, our eyes have been darkened and we reject God. We reject God's wisdom. We think that the cross is weak 
and stupid and left to ourselves, that's where we're going to be unless the Spirit of God gives light uh, and understanding so that we might see the cross for what it really is, true wisdom and power. Look at what Paul says next in verse 15. He says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so when Paul says Christians are not to be judged by anyone, he is not saying that unbelievers can never point out areas that were wrong or really can even see areas that were wrong that we don't even see ourselves. The reality is that they absolutely can and they absolutely have. This verse has really often been tortured and misinterpreted to to basically mean that Christians can really never be wrong about anything and unbelievers really have nothing that they can say to us. That's not what this is saying. Again, it, it goes back to wisdom. When it comes to wisdom on ultimate questions of what life is really about and what we're here for and where the good life is found and what really matters, uh, we are not to be judged by those who do not believe in Jesus on those ultimate questions because the fact that they have rejected the cross means they're totally backwards about what real wisdom and understanding is. Maybe thinking about it like this would help. Uh, All of us can listen to a song and enjoy uh, a piece of music, right? But, but for those of us, myself not included, uh, who are able to play an instrument and really understand more of the intricacies of how music is supposed to work and sound, uh, there's just a whole lot deeper level of understanding and appreciation uh, for music in that, right? Because you can really live in both wor- worlds. You know what it's like to listen and you know what it's like uh, to play and to understand the depths of it. You see, I I can listen to a song and I can think that song is good, but I can't tell you why that song is good. All I can tell you is I like the way that it sounds. I I think that's a little bit of what Paul is getting at here. When he's saying uh, that that we are to be judged by no one, he's saying, you know, unbelievers have only known what it means to walk in darkness. Christians, we understand what it means to both walk in the darkness and walk in darkness in the light. We know God and have experienced the reality of God in our lives. One commentator put it like this. He said, we understand what's going on in the world, but the world cannot understand us. They've never experienced life with God, so they can't understand life with God. And the reason we do understand what's going on in the world is because we have been given the mind of Christ. We've been given an insight into the way God made the world and what reality actually is and what real wisdom is and what actually matters. And so because this is true, because we've been given wisdom, true wisdom through the Spirit of God, I think there are a couple ways we should respond to this passage. And I sum them all up in one word because I'm obnoxious like that. And so how should we respond to this? I think we should rejoice, we should pray, and we should walk. And so first, we should rejoice. Everything in this passage in the first two chapters of Corinthians is leading us to believe that this is a miracle, right? Like the fact that you know God, that you trust in Jesus, that you've been given the Spirit, that you think the cross is wisdom and power, that is a gift of God. It's not something you earned on your own. Everything in the first two chapters of Corinthians has been leading us to believe that if you are a Christian, You are a Christian because of God and not because of yourself. 
Like the, the word in this passage was not discovered. Like these are the things you discovered and figured out. The word was revealed. That's the language of gift. You are passive. You are not active in this scenario. God is the one who is actively and freely and graciously revealing. And he did not say that we've been given the Spirit to help us understand the things that we have earned and deserved in salvation. He says we've been given the Spirit to freely understand what we've been freely given by God. I know we've hit on this quite a bit over the past few weeks, but I want you to sit with this. This truth is so humbling and securing. Like you realize, if God had left you to yourself, you would still think the cross is weak and stupid. You would still reject Jesus as God, and you would still be trying to be your own God and find life outside of Him. But you don't, and that's a gracious gift of God. You are not a Christian because you grew up in church. You are not a Christian because you've always been taught this way. If you believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus because of the gracious gift of God. And so rejoice. Like God has revealed Himself to you. He set His love specifically on you. Even though you haven't earned it and you don't deserve it, God has chosen to love and reveal Himself to you. It's incredible news. And so rejoice in that. But then second, pray. Because this is a miracle. Like, if, if somebody's going to become a Christian, it's because of God. And, and so if our friends and our family members and our neighbors are going to become Christians, it's going to be because of the work of God in their lives. And, and so we should pray that God would save them and open up their eyes. And here's the good news in all of this. God not only ordains the end, He ordains the means. And so God not only ordains the end, that people will be saved, He's also ordained the means that the way that they are going to be saved is as we preach the gospel to them and as we pray for them. Like there are people in this city right now that God is going to save through our prayers and through our witness. Your prayers play an essential part in God's mission of saving sinners and calling people from death to life. And so pray that God would do this. Pray that God would open blind eyes and deaf ears and dead hearts that He would give life. Pray that God in His grace would give us the grace of getting to see more people come from death to life so that they might get to join in this rejoicing in God together with us. And so we pray, and then third, we walk. One of the main themes of this passage, if not the main theme, is that in Jesus you've been given real wisdom. Like, you know the way the world works. You know what God is up to. You know His plan of salvation and His mission. You know the true story of the world. You know what real wisdom is. In response, you should live like it. You should reject the wisdom of the world and you should live into the true story of the world. You should walk in God's wisdom. And the good news is that you know what God's wisdom is. You know what wisdom looks like. Wisdom is cross-shaped and it's Spirit-revealed. It is a gift of the Spirit that shows us Jesus and makes us look more like Jesus. It's found in the Scriptures as the Spirit keeps opening up and illuminating and revealing more aspects of the depths of God and our salvation to us that we might walk in this and walk in this wisdom. And, and so step into this. Like, Don't leave gifts from God unopened. Walk in this wisdom because life is found in walking in this wisdom. The wisdom of the cross. 
Let me pray that we would. Jesus, thank you for uh, this good news that in our sin, our eyes were closed, uh, our hearts were dead, our ears were stopped up, but you have sent your Spirit to reveal and give light and life so that we might believe uh, and, and get to experience the things we've been freely given by you. God, thank you for the good news that you are uh, not simply above us, uh, you are inside of us through the Spirit. You live in us, empowering us uh, to see and believe and walk in the salvation you've purchased for us. So I pray that you'd help us to do that. Would you help us to reject uh, the world's substitutes for wisdom and power and live into your wisdom and power? Would you help us to walk in the path that Jesus has laid out for us in and through his cross? Would you help us to walk in an understanding of the things we've been freely given and the things we've freely received uh, in and through our salvation. Father, I pray that you would do that in us, even now, in this moment. I pray you'd be doing that work in your name. Amen.